to you, Lord, for um, all the life that it brings. And for us this morning, um, just let thy spirit be like uh, raindrops on our on our hearts and our minds to refresh us and to teach us, um, to make us reflective and inquisitive and seeking uh, change and improvement in our own lives. And uh, I pray that heartily for myself. And uh, all glory to you, Father, as we do this this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the most importantly this morning, there's some donuts back there in the kitchen left over from the men's breakfast. So I just grabbed some tissues and was tempted, but I resisted. So um, I didn't uh, have a chance to make it yesterday. And uh, it looked like they had a good, good time. So the gentleman up there on the screen is a little bit shy about his, his picture. And and you know he he's our he's our pastor and I don't know if you want to join me but I I applaud him he's he's always here yeah he's Johnny on the spot and I'd like to, I love embarrassing him whenever I can <laughs> anyway um, I have the same issues with my own own picture but it's okay we're talking about Micah today. His name means who is like the Lord. You have your bulletin and I hope your your chart and your map and um, we'll be able to look at the details this morning. Uh, first things first, you can see him there on the on the uh, timeline chart um, and you can see that uh, he comes uh, right around the end of the northern kingdom, although he still has some things to say about the Northern Kingdom in his book. And um, uh, so we're, we're about halfway through when we finish with with this today. And you can see at the bottom of the chart there, we've got uh, we've got six more. We've got Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And, um, and so just a, a lot of really, really good stuff. By the way, I... I uh, still appreciate your your prayers for me my my legs doing really well uh, I don't have a wrap on it anymore I just have a they have a band-aid with some special uh, stuff that they put on it to facilitate healing and and I, I'm wearing a, a, a heart monitor so I'm still an afib and and uh, uh, but they say don't let it slow you down so I'm not God is good, and your prayers sustain me, so thank you. Okay, enough about that. You've got the outline there posted on your uh, bulletin. Um, it's broken down into uh, six different sections. Uh, the prophet identifies himself. Um, he has some sightings for Samaria and Judah. And then he talks about punishment and deliverance, the salvation to come. <coughs> and under that one, you can see that uh, Micah does talk about the two advents of the Messiah, the first coming and the second coming. And we'll, we'll see that. 
Uh, and so uh, I posted that picture, um, Micah 5.2, right there above the picture. It says, Bethlehem from you, one will come forth for me to be ruler in Israel. And, and that's concerning the first advent of the Messiah. And then uh, fifth there, the Lord's reproofs. And then finally, blessings to come. It's one of the nice hallmarks of all the prophets that we look at. They, they're, they're accurate. They're, they're frank when it comes to the condemnation of sin. Um, something that some churches are a little bit hesitant to do these days. I'm glad that, that here we're, we're not shy about that. I, I've always kind of uh, uh, balked at the, the idea that uh, things today are identified as illnesses, uh, the root of which are really sin. Um, I know that uh, personally, my father-in-law was an alcoholic. And um, my wife had to go and live with an, an aunt because both of her parents were alcoholics. Um, when, when she was about eight or nine years old, her dad disappeared. When we got married, found out that the family knew where he was. He was on Skid Row in Phoenix, Arizona. And they went and they got him and they cleaned him up put him in a suit so he could walk my wife down the aisle. And we didn't know any about any of this really till after the fact. My wife didn't really know a lot about what was going on. And then we went on our honeymoon and we found out that the family put him back on an airplane to Phoenix. And, and he wound up dying on Skid Row in Phoenix. It, it, the root of it is sin. And, and this, the story that I just told is has roots in sin that go beyond my father-in-law's alcoholism, his family's failure to care for him and understand that, you know, with the right kind of compassion and love uh, that sin can be dealt with. And we're going to see that here. You know, what does the Lord want for you? But, you know, kindness, mercy. And, and um, it, it, it's so absent even in the world today. And so, it, you know, it's one thing to, t to talk about history way back and to see that it's so clearly defined and delineated and then to be able to look at our world today and often even into our own lives. Uh, personally, when, when I first got married, I was on the verge of alcoholism and, and I got... Uh, I got very drunk once at a at a party and came home and passed out on the bathroom floor. It's not something I'm proud of. Uh, but when I woke up in the in the morning, I was still laying on the floor, and the first thing that I saw was feet. It turned out to be my wife's feet. We'd only been married about six months. She had a history of living in the back of a station wagon while her parents went into the Elks Lodge in, in Greeley, Colorado, winter, summer, fall, didn't matter, with blankets and water. 
and they'd be in, in drinking till four or five o'clock in the morning before they shipped her off to her, her aunt's. And so anyway, long story short, um, I, I finally was able to focus upward and see her face and, and her first words were, can you see me? And I said, yes. And she said, can you hear me? And I said, yes. And she said, do you understand what I'm saying? And I said, yes. She said, if you ever do that again, I'll divorce you. Well, that was the last time I drank. I wasn't even a believer at the time. But it certainly was a step in the right direction that, that led both me and her to that place. And so I'm, I'm, you know, this is just, I wasn't planning on talking about this, but it, it just brings it up off the cuff uh, because the Jews were, were like what we are. Um, w wicked, uh, the inner man, wicked, evil beyond measure. The Bible says there is none who is good, not one. It says it both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And, uh, and so when we come to grips with that, we find ourselves to be like the Jews. And none of them were practicing their covenant with God the way they were supposed to. And we have the benefit today of the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin. And we have the promise of 1 John 1, nine: If we confess our sin, he is faithful and righteousness, righteous to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, and that's certainly where the Lord brought me from that, that terrible day passing out on the bathroom floor, um, great, great sinfulness. It, it became a realization to me, and, and of course I repented and, and cried out to the Lord, and, and he saved me. And then they had the promise, Matthew 2, two 6, down there at the bottom, Bethlehem, from you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, speaking of the birth of the Messiah. So here are the key verses. Verse 3, 8, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, and with justice and courage to make known to Jacob his rebellious act and to Israel his sin. Uh, chapter 6, verse 8, he has told you, O man, this one should be very familiar. There's, there's songs written about this one. What is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? And then chapter 7, verse 7, as for me, I will watch expectantly for the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Now, that's, that's talking about the second advent of Christ right there. Let's take a, a, a little deeper look at um, that first one, chapter 3, verse 8. I am filled with power. Let me read the context first, the the, the parts uh, uh, bordered in green there. Uh, before you get to chapter to verse 8, chapter 3, verses 1 to 2, uh, say, here now, and there's an urgency there, heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, so that's both nations, is it not, good, is, is it not for you to know justice? Rhetorical question, of course, 
you who hate good and love evil. So that's the context of who they were and why the letter was coming to them. It's the case made by Micah uh, for their disobedience. And then before he speaks this verse 8 or writes it down, we have the contrast of the false prophets from verses 3 to 7. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray. They will be ashamed and embarrassed because there is no, no answer from God. And then we get to verse 8, of course. And the idea of being filled with power, uh, there's the I there. It means he gained a full capacity of having been empty. But now there exists a state of being while he's prophesying in him. Because we know that the Holy Spirit didn't continually reside in the Old Testament saints. But in this, in his capacity as a, a man used by, by God to declare the word of God. Um, the characterization is that of power and it's strength from the might of the spirit. And then spirit here is the Hebrew word ruach, which simply means breath, wind, and it's the source of the gift. And, uh, and so the context is talking about justice. And when, when uh, the prophets talk about justice, uh, it's talking about the Mosaic covenant, the Mosaic law, the whole structure of that. And so he's filled with this pure legal insight that he can apply to what he sees uh, in the disobedience of the people. And then courage, courage, what a benefit. Uh, it's an absolute and it's of the nature of God. It's a gift of valor. And everyone who possesses the Holy Spirit is filled with power. We know that from what happened to the disciples in Acts chapter 1 and 2. And what happened to every believer from that day on when they repented and were given the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have the gift of, 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 of power and courage. And, and so when you have opportunities to witness, to share our faith, we should always look for them. Anytime we're engaged in a conversation, we should look for opportunities to say something. It doesn't mean that we have to walk up to people and hand them a tract and say, hey, do you know Jesus is your Savior? No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about befriending people, knowing people. You sit in the barber chair. You have opportunities to talk to your barber. And the topic of your faith can come up. I, I, I mean, I know it because um, I do it all the time. Anybody can do it. And what's to be afraid of? Think about it. If they take my life, what happens to me? I'm ushered into the presence of the Lord. And that's the history of the church from its dawning, from way back, from the beginning. Even the Old Testament saints, when they died, they went to the bosom of Abraham. They, they lived in a, in a realm of promise waiting for the Messiah to come. And, and so we have that insight as well. And then his job was to make known, and that's a command. It's an infinitive, but it's based upon the previous command to reveal the case against God's people and their rebellious rebelliousness. 
They're, this is a call to accountability for their holotry against God. And then, of course, sin is over disobedience. Acts 1.6, I was talking about that. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Be encouraged, everyone, be encouraged. This verse, powerful verse, he has told you, O man, what is good. So the idea of he has told you, it's a declaration. This is a reminder of the state of being concerning the standards of God. We all have this truth embedded in us by the Holy Spirit. The reference to man is a common word used to uh, embrace all mankind. Everybody knows this to be truth. Everybody. It doesn't make any difference who you are. If you happen to come into this existence and become someone like Stalin or Hitler or whatever, this truth was in you and you knew it. You knew it. You know it. But sinful man recreates his own um, structure of what's what he sees to be kindness and, and is, it becomes distorted, of course. And then good, of course, is God's moral foundation appealing to all. Now you can see that the next one, Lord Yahweh, looks a little bit blurry up there. That's because I came across something. I want to kind of focus in on this. So I'll, I, I love PowerPoint. <laughs> you can move stuff around. Anyway, anybody recognize this picture? Anybody been, been here? This is actually in Colorado somewhere. It's a, it's a giant staircase, and it, 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 it just speaks of the awesomeness of, you know, the heavens declaring the glory of God. You can see the clouds in the, in the distance. Anyway, this reference to the Lord, Y-H-W-H, is the word that we pronounce Yahweh, and uh, we add the vowels. Uh, it, it's called the unpronounceable name of God. And um, uh, the use of it here is the connection to Moses and the revelation that Moses had. In Revelations 4, 8, the I am, which God identified himself as to Moses, is he who was, he who is, he who is to come. In other words, the eternal God, everlasting God. Now, what I'm going to share with you is not sound, not solid doctrine. It's it on, it's seen by some as a real uh, a real application. I'd say about 50, 50, 50 percent of the commentators I found said, "Yeah, this is a real application." Fifty percent said, "Oh no, it's just an idea." And and either way, I kind of liked it, so I'm going to share it with you. Moses asked God his name. The answer, Yahweh. Some scholars note that those letters are aspirated consonants. That is, when pronounced, sounds like breathing. Yah, inhaling. And way, exhaling. Yahweh. Yahweh. So it connects it to the act of breathing. Okay. What are we talking about? A baby's first breath speaks the name of God. A deep sigh, a groan, a gasp expresses his name. An atheist breathes it constantly in sadness, heavy sighs, in joy, in bursting lungs. The expression 
God, eternal Father. In fear, a shudder gasp. In courage, quick and deep breaths. Breathing gives birth to praise. Waking or sleeping, we all breathe the name. When you go to sleep, have you ever thought about it before you go to sleep? Did you ever think about closing your eyes and and letting your consciousness close down and and rest for what however many hours is needed? And and the, the entire time you're breathing, your heart is beating. Your blood is pumping. I mean, come on. We, we, get, we, we must understand what it means to give glory to God for the wonderful creatures that we are. If you look at Psalms 139, it says that we are wonderfully made, weaved together in the womb by the hand of God. And so, so with every breath, it calls out to him, Yahweh. And of course, this is, and an anonymous, uh, all these things that I kind of gleaned from something that someone else wrote, and, and uh, I shortened them up and made it a little bit more succinct anyway. It's, it's, it's not something that you can say, well, this is, do- this is solid doctrine, because it's, it's just a, uh, an idea about aspirated consonants. And uh, I like it because it reminds me, especially in my condition, Right now, going through AFib and, you know, every breath, I, it's more precious than you can, you can imagine. So, anyway, I wanted to share that. So, what's required of us by this wonderful God? Legal, moral, imperative is what's required. And it says to do. So, this, this, is, this is a command. Uh, we talk about justice. In in the Mosaic uh, law, it's called the mishpat. Uh, it's something that's applied fairly and in orderly manner for productive daily living. So, anytime you walk down the street and you're bumping into folks that you know, um, the the practice of the mishpat, justice and kindness and humbleness, and walking with God. Um, you look for ways to be helpful and to be kind, to be loving, to express the character of God. And, of course, walking is an emphatic command. Uh, it's like river water. Uh, our walk with God is, is supposed to flow. And, of course, with the Holy Spirit, we have living waters that overflow all the time, constantly. And then it also uses the term God in here, which is the Hebrew word Elohim, which expands what we already talked about. And we understand that we're talking about the creator, the one true God, the faithful one, the compassionate one. And, uh, of course, we know Jesus said in Luke 6.31, treat others the same way you want them to treat you, also known as the golden rule. And then verse 7 of chapter 7, as for me, I will watch expectantly for the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. So this is emphatic. I, he's he's speaking 
personally, but he's also expressing the desire of, of the people of God. Again, the word Lord. Watch. Keeping guard continually. Uh, this is an, an imperfect, which means you continually, constantly, always watch for the Lord. And we are commanded to, to look for the coming of the Lord. It's expressed as the, the hope of the church. And then it will come in the twinkling of an eye. And we're called to always be ready, which means that we're supposed to apply the mishfat in our own lives, that, that willingness to be used of God and to be kind and gentle and humble, etc. Again, God is used, uh, the word God is used, and in here it talks about salvation, and we're, we're talking about the, the second coming of the Lord here, you know, so we're talking about deliverance, rescue, welfare, and the hope of preservation, and then uh, my God will hear me, Again, this is an imperfect, which means it's a continual process. When we, when we call out to God, he hears us continually. You talk to God. You remember, it says in the Bible three times, it talks about being, God being Abba, Father. And that means that we can go right into his presence and we can understand that we are figuratively being held in his arms and that he is giving us his His an extreme personal um, interest in, in us and he hears everything that we say and you, you put together the millions of believers and, and he doesn't push everyone else off to the side just for you, you under, who is our God? He is, he is omniscient, he is omnipotent, he's omnipresent etc. and so he, he sees and hears Everything intimately, completely, and nothing is hidden from him. We've talked about that before. So Luke 21 warns, keep alert at all times, praying that you may stand before me. So let's talk about the theme, and these are also on your bulletins. It's a message of judgment upon a people determined to follow after evil. Just like our world today. The purpose here is, to, is a call to practical holiness based on the righteousness and sovereignty of God. I've already expressed that in those key verses. And then the method, Micah spoke against political, religious, and moral sin using links with God's covenant promises. Now I have a picture of these beautiful-looking succulent grapes uh, because later on it talks about the failure to have access to something like this because of the, uh, the condemnation of God. Okay, the author. Micah came from a small town southwest of Jerusalem named Morsef near Gath. He was a citizen of the southern kingdom. His family was of humble origins and means. Micah was a common name. It was used 29 times, two times citing Micah directly. Here in this, this book and in Jeremiah 26, 18, and I'm putting Jeremiah 26, 18 up on the screen. Jeremiah says this, Micah of Morseth prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah, and he spoke to all the people of Judah, saying, Thus the Lord of hosts has said, 
Zion will be plowed as a field and Jerusalem will become ruins. This is about the judgment in the mountain of the house as the high places of the forest. Um, and, and we'll see that verse as we go through the different verses. Uh, the picture on the right, you know, the famous uh, scripture verse that's used by United, you know, in, in the United States talking about uh, immigration and peace and whatnot, that uh, turning swords into plowshares, and we'll, we'll see that. This is a stained glass window someplace that, that took that uh, scriptural image and put it into a stained glass. The date, the length of Hosea's, uh, oh, I got Hosea in there. The date, the length of uh, Micah's ministry extended for 25 years. Um, and the kings were Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And in the northern kingdom, uh, Pekah and Hosea until the captivity of the north in 722. He also ministered at the same time as Isaiah and Hosea. So you've got your maps. And you can see where Morseth is down there in the southern kingdom. And that's where Micah is from. And I'll go through these quickly. Some of it's a little redundant from the previous page. Micah was a citizen of the southern kingdom. He was from Morseth. He, his ministry spanned the times of three kings. I already, already talked about that. Uh, and we'll see a little bit more about the high places and the idolatry of Ahaz, etc. cetera. Uh, back in that time, the small border, border villages of the south were under attack and the wealthy exploited the poor. It's one of the problems. People suffered from rulers and false teachers. Hezekiah is one of Judah's best rulers as he was used by God to defeat Assyrian invaders and return true worship to Judah. Other active prophets were Hosea and Isaiah. They all spoke against injustice and corruption. Micah's message is presented in legal and courtroom terminology. And the fulfillment of Micah's prophecies point to the second advent of Christ. Now, this is that panel that I've talked about before. It, it's about repentance. Whenever the prophets, excuse me. Whenever the prophets are calling the people to turn back to God, they're all talking about this type of repentance. They're not talking about gather your sacrifices and go to the temple and have them, have them murdered or killed. I shouldn't use murdered. Have them killed. Have the blood placed upon the altar. We're not talking about those kind of physical sacrifices they're talking about the heart and the need to have the heart pulverized by regret and, and God acting upon that, that acknowledgement and, uh, and, and causing a new birth to take place inside a soul. Uh, so a broken spirit, a broken heart, a contrite heart, these are all passive words that speak of God doing the, the work inside of you to, to crush your sinful nature, nail it on the cross, and, and, and transfer the righteousness of Christ to your inner man so that you can stand before him and he will see the righteousness 
of Christ rather than your own sinful nature. And this applies to Old Testament saints as well as New Testament saints. Jesus' death on the cross was retroactive, and it also was future active. Uh, I'm recalling Thomas expressing heartfelt, my Lord and my God, when he suddenly realized when he was offered to touch the wounds. And Jesus said to him, I'll try to quote it, Blessed are you, Thomas, because you have seen and believed. But more blessed are they who do not see and yet believe because of your words, speaking of the the soon-to-be apostles. Well, we have seen through the words of the Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, and we have believed. And because of that, Jesus expressed to Thomas that we, those of us that have done this are more blessed because we can believe without actually like him being able to see and touch what a great thing so highlights from chapter one the word of the lord came to micah of morseth in the days of jotham ahaz and hezekiah kings of judah which he saw concerning samaria and jerusalem here people all of you listen earth and all it contains, and let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple, for the Lord is coming from his place. He will come down and tread on the high places. That's one of the high places where they made those sacrifices to false gods. He will come down and tread on the high places of the earth for the rebellion of Jacob, for the sins of the house of Israel, the rebellion of Samaria and Jerusalem, the high place of Judah, I will make Samaria a heap of ruins. All her idols will be smashed. And they actually did that. For she, back then, and and it was done again. For she collected them from a harlot's earnings. Because of this, I must lament, for her wound is incurable. Calamity has come down from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem. Because in you were found the rebellious acts of Israel. The glory of Israel will enter Adullam. The children of your delight will go from you to into exile. So this is talking about recognizing the sin and judging the sin. And in First Peter, it says, Grath withers, flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now, what we're reading here is the enduring word of God. It applies. It applied back then. It applies now. Woe to those. This is chapter 2. Woe to those who scheme iniquity, who work out evil in their beds. People go to sleep and they think, what am I going to be able to do tomorrow to to self-serve and, you know, make justification for doing harm to others? And they make these plans, and it's woe to you when you make these plans. When morning comes, they do it, for it is... Uh, for it is in the power of their hands. They covet, they rob. Thus says the Lord, I am planning calamity, and you will not walk haughtily, for it will be an evil time. On that day they will utter bitter lamentation. You will have no one stretching a measure line for you. Now, the idea of a measure line is like the that uh, uh, plumb bob, like I was talking about, you know, uh, the, the truth of God is measured 
as a straight line. And there's no one that's looking over Jerusalem because of their sin that will give them a measurement that, that is equal to, to a straight line because of their, their sin. Reproaches will not be turned back. Is the spirit of the Lord impatient? Are these his doings? My people have arisen as an enemy. There is no place of rest because of the uncleanness that brings on destruction. I will assemble all of you, Jacob. I will gather gather the remnant of Israel. I put them together like sheep in the fold. Their king goes on before them, the Lord at their head. And, of course, Romans 2.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Actually, I think that's Romans 3.23, if I'm not mistaken. From chapter 3, I said, Here, heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? Uh, those who hate good and love evil, you tear off their skin and break their bones. Cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer. This is an image of a false prophet. Thus says the Lord about the prophets who lead my people astray. They will cry peace, but against him who puts nothing in their mouths. They declare holy war. Thus it will be night for you, without vision and darkness for you, without divination. The sun will go down on the prophets and the day will become dark over them. So this is a true expression. We know that after uh, the last minor prophet speaks, that there is a, a, a stretch of several hundred years between the last prophet and John the Baptist. And it was a time of darkness. And we'll see that when we do our conclusion lesson. The sun will go down on the prophets and the day will become dark over them. Seers will be ashamed and diviners will be embarrassed. They will cover their mouths because there is no answer from God. Um, in Second Peter, it says there were false prophets. As there were false prophets back then, there will be false pro- teachers among you. You don't have to go too far to find false prophets in today's day and age. Stay away from the TV and all that nonsense that goes on there. Okay, And there's, there's plenty of, of places in our own community where the churches are not teaching um, with integrity the word of God. Chapter 3. On the other hand, I am filled with power. The prophet. I am p- filled with power as opposed to those false teachers with the spirit of the Lord and with justice and courage to make known to Jacob his rebellious act. The purpose of me being filled is to reveal your sin, specifically here, even to Israel his sin. Now hear this, heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who abhor justice and twist everything that is straight, and Jerusalem with violent injustice, they say, is not the Lord in our midst? Calamity will not come upon us. Therefore, on account of you, Zion will be plowed as a field. And this is referring to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. As a field, Jerusalem will become a heap of ruins. When, and we know that it happened. The mountain of the temple become high places of a forest. Prophets are expected to be 100% accurate. 
and we've just seen words that express something that happened in 70 AD. And we know that to be true. Chapter 4. I'm getting short of time here. In the last days, the Lord will be established, and nations will say, Let us go to the Lord to walk in his paths. From Zion will go forth the word. He will judge and render decisions for nations. They will hammer swords into plowshares, spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and never train for war. Well, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. No one will make them afraid. Though peoples walk in the name of their God, we will walk in the name of the Lord. So this is talking about the time of the Messiah, the millennial time of the Messiah. Says the Lord, I will assemble the lame and outcast. I will make a remnant and a nation. As for you, the former dominion will come. In other words, there you will be regathered and you will be given dominion again. Why do you cry? Is there no king? Has your counselor perished? Writhe and labor like a woman, for you will be in the field and go to Babylon. This is talking about the exile. There you will be rescued. The Lord will redeem you. They will be redeemed from that. Nations have assembled against you, but they do not know the thoughts or purpose of the Lord, for he has gathered them like sheaves in the threshing floor. Arise. For your horn I will make iron, your hoofs bronze, to pulverize many and devote their unjust, unjustice gain to the Lord. Jesus said, all I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus spoke about the prophets, and he confirmed all the things that they said. Muster troops, they laid siege, and will smite the judge of Israel. As for you, Bethlehem, Epaphra, here's the expression of the Messiah, too little to be among the clans of Judah from you. One will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago. From eternity he will shepherd his flock. In the majesty of the Lord, he will be our peace. When Assyria invades, we will shepherd them with the sword. He will deliver us. Jacob will be like dew from the Lord. Jacob will be a lion among beasts, a young lion among flocks. There is none to rescue. Your hand will be lifted against your adversary. Your enemies will be cut off. In that day, I will cut off your horses and destroy your chariots. I will cut off your cities and tear down fortifications. I will cut off sorceries. You will have fortune tellers. No more. I will cut off your images and your pillars. These are the, the false gods. You will no longer bow down to the work of your hands. I will root out your Asherim. That's speaking about the gods that they made and destroy your cities. I will execute vengeance and anger and wrath on the nations which have not obeyed. Now, I love this. Uh, the picture in the middle uh, was actually uh, posted up there on the screen Wednesday night when pastor was talking about the Asherim. And they were simply denuded trees. Uh, the roots were exposed and they made the top, uh, you know, the branches in some kind of a crown. And then the, it was a, a, a female uh, goddess figure. And then they made these small idols that they stood up in, in their houses, little little statuettes. And then obelisks were also um, seen as asherim. Exodus 20 says, you shall not make an idol or any image. I am the Lord. 
chapter 6. Um, let me go through this quickly because I've only got a couple of minutes left here. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop down to uh, this. My people, remember what Balak king of Moab counseled and what Balaam, uh, Balaam son of Beor answered from Shittim to Gallo? For you might know the righteous acts of the Lord. And this is what was actually said in Numbers. Uh, Balak threw his counselors to Balaam concerning the Jews. A people, Israel, has come out of Egypt. They're still headed toward the promised land. They cover the face of the earth and they are dwelling opposite me. Come now, curse his people for me since they are too many for me. Perhaps I shall be able to beat them and drive them from the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed and he whom you curse is cursed. Then Balaam sought the counsel of God who said to him, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people. They are blessed. So Balaam answered the counselors of Balak, go to your land for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So uh, Micah speaks about that interaction. Um, Down in the bottom here, it talks about two of the kings, Omri and Ahab. And he says that in their devices, you walk. And from 1 Kings 16, uh, Omri and Ahab were both rulers of the northern kingdom. Omri did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did more evil than all who were before him. And his son, Ahab, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. So he was even worse than his father, who was worse than everyone before him. And this, these are the devices that the people walked in, which is why they were being judged. Uh, let's see here. Got something here. I'm looking at the blue section up there on the screen. For me, I will watch for the Lord. This is the... The, the, the second advent, the God of my salvation, he will hear me. Do not rejoice, my enemy. If I fall, I will rise. Though I dwell in darkness, the Lord is light. I will bear his indignation, for I have sinned against him. He pleads my case and executes justice for me. He will bring me to the light. I will see his righteousness. Uh, <clears throat> This is talking about the sovereignty of God. Uh, In verse 14, it says, Shepherd your people with your scepter, your flock which dwells in the woodland. Then it says, As when you came out of Egypt, I will show you miracles. His scepter uh, ruled over them when they were in the wilderness. And then finally, Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious act of the remnant. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. You will give truth to Jacob and unchanging love to Abraham, which you swore to our forefathers from the days of old. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that brings us to our last panel. And just a reminder that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. 
For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but by men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. I pray that Micah has spoken to our hearts today. Let's pray. Thank you so much, our Father, for uh, your grace to come here and to um, allow ourselves to be exposed to the powerful word that, that you have written down for us to guide us, to sanctify us, to help us to grow. We pray, Father, that if we have had an opportunity to look at any sin in our life, that we would turn to the First John 1, 9 and confess our sin and allow ourselves to be cleansed from all unrighteousness because you forgive us. I pray that we do that. I pray that we would be strengthened and encouraged so that we can go out into the world that we live in and express our faith to those that we come in contact with because that's the way that you work, Father. And I pray that you would use us as instruments to your glory and to that end. In Jesus' name.